Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So I was talking to my daughter once, I guess maybe a year or so ago. And she told me that she had made a wish and she didn't want to tell me what it was. And I, had, I thought about it for a minute and, and I, I, it just really didn't sit right with me. And I couldn't figure out why. I said, you know what? She, go, she goes, Mama, if I tell you my wish, it won't come true. That's what my friend at school told me. And I said, well, honey, some kids say that, and they, you know, they might feel that way. But in my experience, um, if you say your wishes out loud, people can start to try to help you ma make them happen and um, think of creative ways. Well, what, what is the next thing out of her mouth? Mama, I want to be Wonder Woman. <laughs> and so here I am thinking, wow, okay, how do I? <laughs> and, I and I sat there quiet because I'm driving and, we're, you know, I'm thinking, like, what am I going to say to this kid who wants to be Wonder Woman? And I just told her I can help her make that happen. And, you know, we, and I started just brainstorming with her. And I was like, well, you know, what would it... What do you love about Wonder Woman? Is it her strength? Um, you know, is there something you can do to work on your strength? And would you like to make a costume together? And we just had it was such a great bonding experience. About and I said, see, now we're thinking of things we can do to make your your. You know, it seemed like a small dream, right? But like to her, it was big to make your dream come true. And and so that, I kind of think that carries on into adulthood. Is if we don't say our, that whole lie about. If you say your wishes, they don't come true. I think that's BS. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Sasha, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your story by way of my literary agent, Lisa Demona, who I found out after getting to the end of your book, happens to also be your literary agent. And when I found out what you were up to and uh, the work that you're doing and, and you know, read the book that you'd written, I was very, very intrigued. So uh, rather than give it away for our listeners, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, uh, your background, your story, your journey, and everything that has led uh, up to everything that you're up to now? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I usually go back in spurts when I talk about who I am, because I, I think I had two phases of my life, um, sort of the adult who was trying to have this perfect existence and then the childhood that I was a, a little bit hiding from. And so um, I typically go back to 2010. I was a new mother, uh, married to a wonderful husband, and uh, my daughter was seven months old. And 
I was having this sense of restlessness and trying to figure out where it was coming from, and I wasn't really sure. Um, I used to cook quite a bit, and it'd been a very long time since I'd wanted to cook. And um, one night I got up in the, and was wandering around the house, and I had these spice jars my husband had purchased for me for Christmas, and they were empty. And they'd been empty for about two months. And I was looking into them, and I saw this this wave of possibility, um, you know, seeing different cultures of the world and trying, really trying to offer my daughter the best I could and seeing in these jars um, this vision of, I wish I could offer the world to her. And in this little spark of an idea um, came this very quick desire to, what would it be like to cook a meal from every country in the world? Um, now, a little more background. My husband is um, when I first met him was a very picky eater. He'd never had fresh spinach before. He had no idea what an eggplant was, um, and I had been to uh, about twelve countries by the age of nineteen, visiting and and living overseas for about seven years. And so um, part of this crisis was wondering what kind of um, you know food my daughter would grow up eating. So was she going to take after him and um, be picky and, and push away everything at her table? Or would she be curious? Um, and I should mention we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> which is very, I mean, it's landlocked. It takes at least two flights to get out of the country. So her, at the time, I thought her opportunities for experiencing some real culture were very limited. Um, so anyway, I began a blog called Global Table Adventure. And in the beginning, it was this, it just seemed so straightforward that I was doing this to add some spice to our dinner time. And every week was a new country. Um, started with Afghanistan and ended almost four years later with Zimbabwe. And about the time my our literary agent met me and found out about what I was doing, um, I, was, I was pretty close to the end. And I still hadn't quite figured out what it was all about. And, and she got super excited. She heard me talking for a few minutes on uh, Travel with Rick Steves on the NPR radio show. And so she had me put together this proposal. And it was very much um, Julie and Julia with a lot of global education, lessons I learned um, from around the world while cooking the world. And we shopped it around. And met with several different publishing houses, but when I met with National Geographic, it was kind of love at first sight. And um, they, it, it's interesting, a publisher, a different publisher, we were sitting in this meeting room and we were around this table and they said to me, um, you know, asking me about myself and, and a couple little things from my childhood came up. And they kept asking me questions about my childhood, and I could never steer the questions back towards the conversation, back towards um, the blog and this cooking project. And then later I heard that this publisher wanted to publish my memoir, but not the food blog story. And I was so, I remember thinking, gosh, I'm way too young to write my memoir. This is ridiculous. That's not, you know, they didn't even get a proposal on that. No way. So later when National Geographic was excited about my project, it seemed like the perfect fit. They were interested in raising, you know, awareness for other cultures in a very uh, positive and uplifting way, not into the shock stuff that you see sometimes. And so it was a great fit. Well, 
right out of the gate, like first couple of weeks, my editor says to me, all right, well, this is nice. And I, you know, I had written all about my picky husband and little girl and this um, wanderlust I had in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she said, but what's really going on with you? And that's where I would say this, you know, I got this, this kick in my gut because she tapped into something I was avoiding dealing with. And so, um, I told her, I said, are you sure you want to know? And she goes, just tell me your background, go ahead. And I started writing and I gave her, gosh, you know, a hundred pages of information about my childhood. And she was completely shocked. She thought she was going to get maybe a chapter and she still had questions, she still needed to know more. And she said, keep writing. And all of a sudden, this book that was going to be this happy-go-lucky food blog book turned into something um, going into more of an origin story. So what is it that would make somebody obsessively week after week cook a meal from every country in the world? What was driving me? Um, you know, I talk about Batman. He was in an alley and his parents were killed. And that is why he is Batman. Every time he goes out into the community and does something to save somebody, it's, he's trying to save his parents. Um, and so for me, this book became my origin story and, and really goes into my search for a sense of belonging after being, uh, through a lot of hardship in and out of foster homes, um, living overseas and feeling disconnected in many ways there, um, being raised by guardians, and then ultimately trying to figure out after this correct foundation how I was going to raise my daughter um, so that she could have the best opportunity possible and not really knowing how to go about that given my background. Okay, so uh, much like your publisher, I want to go deep into uh, the childhood piece because I'm always very interested in people's origin stories, and yours happens to be very intricate, complex, and fascinating, uh, having read your memoir. So I'd like to do a deeper dive into the origin story and kind of the formative experiences that would lead you down this obsessive quest of cooking uh, every country in the world. Sure. Um, oh, you just want... <laughs> yeah. You just want, want me to go deeper in there. Absolutely. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, really, I think probably the most iconic um, thing about me is that I'm missing a few fingerprints on my right hand. And that's from when I was a very little girl. Um, I was toddling by an open um, broiler. My mom had been making hamburgers and had it open for a second and turned her back to grab potholders. And when, and when she'd done that, I tripped or, or toddled and put both hands on this open grate and got um, second and third degree burns. And when she brought me to the hospital, the nurses and doctors uh, found her behavior kind of erratic and they blasted her with child abuse, took us out of the home. And it started a long line at just, I mean, I was probably, you know, a year and a half a long line of um, the government watching what was going on with us. So once you're in the system, you stay in the system. Um, and so growing up, there was this really unusual dichotomy between um, the terror of being taken out of the home and people uh, seeing our family life as not, quote unquote, good enough. And then the magical childhood my mother created for me. Um, and so we, she was a single mother. We were in um, a, um, 
a poor suburb of Boston at the time. Um, now it's changed quite a bit, but um, Jamaica Plain. And we were in a one-bedroom apartment. My brother and I slept in the living room, and then she was in the bedroom on the other side of the kitchen. And by all counts, I mean, we were on welfare for quite a time as well. By all counts, we were struggling financially. But my brother and I really didn't feel that um, because of my mother's creativity. So, for example, um, we would save our pennies to make... um, a German tree cake with 19 to 21 layers um, with marzipan and, and chocolate and um, apricot jam. And it was this incredible, indulgent, gorgeous cake that nobody really in their right mind needs to make. I mean, you can just go, you know, but my mom didn't believe in going to the supermarket. She believed, uh, you know, in grabbing these, these cakes that she called poison soaked garbage. She wanted us to, um, see food as a way beyond our circumstances, I think. And um, she, one thing that she used to say is there's a real difference between poverty of resources and poverty of spirit. Um, so anyway, we'd make these big things, these elaborate cakes, and, and it just helped uh, my brother and I see that anything was possible. And it also started that passion for international food, um, so, so, so that was the beginning of, of these two worlds and, and, the, and the cooking, you know, starting with being burned at the stove and then being at my mother's side. Um, and, and even if we couldn't afford to make a recipe, she would say, draw it. I mean, there was never a limit. So um, these things really shaped who I was as a young woman and now as a mother. Mm. You know, I, I really love what you mentioned about the, uh, the difference between the poverty of resources and the poverty of spirit. And I am wondering how people end up with a poverty of spirit and if they feel that way, how to change that. I think, um, you know, and, and I have to be honest, I struggle with this sometimes. I mean, I can get really down if, if I let sort of the demons of the past chase me, right? Like I'm not, it, it's easy to think, oh, well, I was tossed from home to home and I, and I, I call it not having an unconditional home. I must not deserve it, right? So we have this negative self-talk that beats us up um, almost worse than our circumstances. And I think um, if you can realistically step back and treat yourself like the best friend that, you know, if you said that to your best friend, how they would correct you, if you can start to correct yourself. Um, and there's also, there's also a little bit of shielding you have to do. So beyond, you know, that's for later in life, maybe. And even when you're going through it, but when you, when you're in that kind of environment, it's important to, um, have some, some pride for the things you have, you know, um, I've always been able to recognize that, you know, though we were on welfare, my mom was creative and some people can't see that, that positive side of things. They get stuck on the welfare part. Um, there's just, uh, I don't know, a tremendous amount of, um, force. And then the other thing is whenever you are, um, in that sort of circumstance, you know, I didn't really see a lot of other kids growing up, uh, inside their homes. So I had no idea it was weird to sleep in a living room, right. With my brother that, that most other kids had their own room that, that never occurred to me until I moved in with my guardians. And I had this enormous room with a walk-in closet, my own sewing machine. It was totally over the top. Um, and so I think, uh, I don't know if there's an answer there, but I do, I do think comparing ourselves to others can be a really dangerous game. 
you know, it reminds me of, of uh, this piece that I picked up from your blog where you said, you know, I could just as easily say my story is one of destruction. One cannot rebuild something that has, hasn't been destroyed. But here's the simple truth. Anytime I focused on destruction, I'm destroyed. Mm-hmm. Why do That's you think right. some people focus on destruction? Like what causes that? Gosh, um, that's a really good question. I, I, whenever it's happened to me, it's because the pain feels too great. And because in some way you need somebody to see that you are hurting, um, to feel validated in your pain. Um, so I think a lot of the power of something negative goes away once it's, once it's been recognized or witnessed by someone you love, whether it be a spouse, a community. Um, so, and, and sometimes there's, it's not a question of fixing the problem, but just, you know, my sister and I had totally different experiences growing up as children. She was raised by her father and I was raised by my mother and, uh, we're half siblings. And I think, um, for a long time, we've both been wanting the other to understand how much we hurt in our own way. And so that focus on the negative continued until we find, you know, at some point we both just realized, wow, she did have it hard in the circumstances she lived. And, and that kind of diffused the whole, the whole negative focus. Hmm. So I know that you moved around a lot. Uh, growing up. And uh, I really related to that because I constantly moved around as a kid. And, you know, earlier in our conversation, you mentioned this idea of this constant search for a sense of belonging. And I'm curious how that whole experience of moving around so much and living in all these different places uh, has impacted the relationships in your life, the way you see the world and uh, your entire search for that sense of belonging. Yeah, I mean, so number one, moving around was a tremendous distraction at a time of great heartache. So I had no access to my mother during the years I was in Europe with my guardians. Um, barely, I mean, maybe like one letter or two letters in, in um, nearly a decade. And so being exposed to other cultures and, you know, this endless supply of amazing food and, you know, just going two hours over the border and experiencing a whole new language and a whole new style of cooking was a great distraction for my heartache. And um, beyond that, it was an education in, in seeing that there, there is no one story. There is no one way to live a life or to have a family. Um, I was just exposed to so many different types of people and, and, who had so many different kinds of experiences. And so I think um, in some ways, one thing my mom used to say when I was little is don't be an ingrown toenail. Um, so don't, don't kind of come in on yourself and, and hurt yourself by focusing only on yourself. And, and being out in the world and seeing all that was different, really, um, it just, it, it opened my heart up. And, it, and it, I think it gave me a sense that there was this, uh, global family, which I think maybe to some people sounds a little ridiculous or a little um, cheesy, but I but I really think if you come from somewhere where you don't have a stable family and you don't know you know what home is, you can really throw yourself into everywhere is home. Hmm. So 
uh, I know you spoke of, of, of your guardians and there was one section of this book, uh, especially about your guardians that really kind of, uh, hit me in the face and almost made me cry. Uh, it was, you know, when you were told by your guardians that they didn't want you. And I remember this line and I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, I believe myself to be broken, fractured, unworthy of their love. Their home came to remind me of who I wasn't, who I could never be. And, you know, I, I honestly think this sense of unworthiness is something that I seem to find in nearly every single person that I talk to uh, on some level, maybe not, you know, on a massive level, but I, I think we all have this sort of universal longing for worthiness and based on your own experiences with it, I'm curious how you find it. Um, gosh, I find my sense of worthiness. That's a great question. I think serving somebody probably pretty famous once said, it's impossible to feel sorry for yourself when you're serving others. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. Um, so for me, it, it goes hand in hand. Um, if I am helping, then I feel worthy. So, uh, or I feel that I am of worth, right? I'm being useful. So even just having a website where I know students are going to find recipes for class projects and I know homeschool mothers are doing the same thing and, um, and now I'm talking more and more on, about peace on the site. All those things, I'm, I'm being of service. And that really helps me on, on hard days. And, and it goes on the family level to my daughter and husband. Um, focusing on my daughter, not by indulging her, but trying to give her a depth of experience and breadth of experience uh, makes me feel as though I have a purpose. Mm. Um, and so then it's not attached to who accepts me, but rather who I accept and let in, which I try to be, you know, I try to love everybody. So I want to ask uh, about the relationship you have with your mother, because, uh, to me, that was one of the most profound parts of, of your entire story. And, uh, especially, you know, being taken away from her and then seeing her 10 years later, uh, I'd love for you to talk to us about, you know, what that entire experience is like rebuilding that relationship. And I mean, it seems like the relationship you had with your mother has played a really infor uh, informative experience, yeah, it has had a profound impact on your love for food and cooking. Like, that's the sense I got, like she played a huge role in all of this. Yeah. And I think that's also how we reconnected after all those years. So so I had a pretty short fuse with her after those 10 years. On the one hand, I was 19 years old and desperate for that connection because with my guardians, we just didn't have a very open, communicative family. And so um, my mom, I, I saw in her this holy grail of, um, you know, finally I'm going to have uh, reconnect to my roots and have that family I always wanted. And so I had a lot of expectations going into seeing her. And I also had these really grand memories of my childhood and, and very, um, I kind of had conveniently forgotten about all the, the trauma we experienced in a way or put it aside. And so when I did reconnect with her, I suddenly saw her a little bit more for who she is as a flawed human being as we all are. And that was, um, very challenging, but with food and cooking, we were able to kind of take it away from that painful, you know, um, where were you all those years kind of conversation to, okay, let's go to the North End in Boston and have a cannoli and you're part Italian. So, you know, cannolis are good. And so food was a bridge. And, um, 
And I think over time, getting to know who she really was as a more flawed individual actually gave me greater love for her, or at least a, a more, I don't know, I just, um, more compassion for the choices she had to make. Um, and, and how, you know, a, a parent disappearing for 10 years, um, that is something that would horrify most people and, and indeed was extremely painful for me. But I think, um, you know, I write in the book about she told me what she was doing all those years. And and she was like a ghost haunting her old life as a mother of us kids. Um, and I got so much compassion. My heart broke for her that, she, you know, she was hurting too. And that's why she was gone. You know, that's why she checked out. Um, but anyway, yeah, so food was the thing. Um, it, it, and I recommend it, you know. I mean, these big bubbling families that get in the kitchen and bump elbows, That's a, a that's that's how you... Um, create a pulse in your family, I think, um, instead of everybody sitting on their iPhones in front of Netflix, <laughs> you know, which we're all guilty of sometimes. I, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate uh, about that entire perspective is seeing our parents for who they are instead of who we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I really uh, understood that. And I can tell you, I've constantly wanted them to be somebody else in my own life than who they really are. Uh, and looking, you know, constantly look for ways to sort of bridge that gap or resolve that tension. And food of all places is one place I figure might be the way to find it because my mother is an amazing cook. Yeah, yeah. I bet she has a lot she can offer you in terms of even just tradition, you know, go, reaching. I couldn't believe even when I was writing the book, talking to my mother about recipes and, oh, I remember this and I remember that. How does it go again? And, and all these things I had never I had never taken the time to learn how to make from her, you know, Um, since so important. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. 
United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit, and let's start actually talking about uh, the project itself. You know, one thing that's really interesting to me is that you said when you saw those spice jars, you saw this wave of possibility, and this spark was just lit. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people don't do anything in those moments? Oh my gosh. Well, it's hot. You know, I have, I will tell you the truth. I've started blogs before, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason they always failed, these projects failed is because they weren't driven them. There were two things. They weren't driven, um, by any sort of, um, critical need. I often call it, um, turning your anguish into your answer. So, so I wasn't driven by anything that mattered so that on hard days I would just give up as opposed to, you know, if this is as part of my desperate need for a sense of belonging, that's going to carry me through, um, the tough days. So that's one. The other thing is having, um, a, a finite goal. And I think sometimes people get these big ideas, they get these big sparks, um, and they don't know how to begin and they don't know how to break it down into manageable chunks. And, it, and there really was something extremely comforting about knowing that I was going week by week. So I knew exactly when I had to deliver and I knew exactly which country it was going to be because I was going alphabetical. So all those hard decisions about, you know, am I going to upset people of this nation by doing this nation for, right? Like, these are things I worry about. I'm a worrier. Um, all that was gone. And it was like so clear. And I, all, and I could, I had this big list of all the countries and as they were checked off, I could see the progress I was making and it was so incredibly satisfying. So I think, um, you know, if, if there's a way to um, break it down into what's the next thing, what's the next decision that has to be made and don't worry about, um, 
you know, all the complicated details, you know, like how many recipes am I going to share? Well, I worked that out over time, you know, mm-hmm. um, that'll, that really helps. Uh, you know, and another example, I have a friend who um, had an unexpected pregnancy and she was terrified and she, she's thinking about like how to get this kid into college before she ever thought about the pregnancy, you know, and I, and I said, well, you make the first decision, right? And then you make the next decision. And then college, that'll be like, you know, a decision in 18 years. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that right now. You know, there was something I forgot to ask you about the earlier part of the story. And I remember when I came across it, I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is so cool. Uh, motorcycle riding. Yes. <laughs> like, that was just so, such a random part of the story. I was like, okay, so I'm really curious. How, uh, what's been the impact of, of being uh, a motorcyclist on your life? Like, how has that impacted uh, the things you do and the way you live your life and, and the way you tell stories? Oh my gosh. Well, so that was, I would say a a very definite phase. Um, probably, oh, a few years of my life. And I think, um, what I love about motorcycles, um, and I rode a sport bike and I went out to track days. So it's just you in the track trying to ride the best and fastest you can. Um, and what I learned from that experience is, is to trust myself. Um, because nobody out there was was having an impact on my decisions, um, and I think you know, as creative people or even in the family, so much second guessing go- happens. But if you're going, you know, ninety miles an hour, which I never really did that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. But if you're going fast down a track and you've got to turn to the left hard and put your knee on the pavement, there's not time to second guess what you're doing. And so, you know, I had a lot of fear riding bikes, um, but I would say that was my big takeaway. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so there's another question I want to ask you, uh, specifically about the project, you know, and we kind of have talked about this, but I want to dive deeper into this. You said there's something comforting about knowing that for the next four years, this will be my quest. And, you know, I, I can say that once you find clarity in what that is, it's really, really truly eye-opening and it allows you to have laser-like focus. And I guess the question is, how do people figure out what that quest is in their own life? Hmm. Well, for me, I think um, I, I refer to it as your answer. So it's the thing that you can, can't not do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do it by combining, I feel like it has to be the combination of your talent and that driving force, that anguish. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, I, I want to give you an example of my husband. He, when he, he was a young man, there was a bank robbery in this tiny Oklahoma town that he lived in. And um, several people were killed, including a pregnant woman. And he didn't, you know, he wasn't at the bank. And, you know, he, he knew a couple of the people that were there. One was his coach's wife. And, uh, but it's not something that happened to him. So it wasn't like my story where I was ripped out of my home by people, but even still, this was a tremendous impact on him. And it was sort of the most remarkable, psychologically, uh, bothersome thing that happened in his childhood. And the whole town was rocked by it. And he's, so that's, that's his anguish. And then his skills, he's really good with computers He's really great with, um, you know, like, like sort of on the technical side of things in general. So his career, he spent 
more than 15 years with AT&T, working for what I call the man, like I would never want to do that. But he's completely fulfilled because he is using his skills with technical things and he works for the 911 department. And I write about this a little bit in the book, um, the, helping, making sure calls go through, right? And so you can imagine that every day when he's doing his job, he's also helping those people in that bank so many years ago, right, in his mind. And so it pushes him. And, you know, recently he had a little bit of thought where he might change jobs because his, um, even though he was helping 911 systems uh, work and designing them across the country, his skills they were using different skills and he wasn't feeling as fulfilled. So I feel like you need to have both. You need to be using the right skills and, uh, and have the right motivator pushing you through. Um, for me, I've always loved writing and food and art. And so if I'm using those three things and then I feel like I'm helping people and helping myself find a sense of belonging, then I'm probably going to be happy in whatever form that takes. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I Somebody had asked me once if I have a passion for doing interviews, and I said, no, not really. I have a passion for telling stories, and this mm-hmm. is just the, the sort of manifestation of that. Like, using the internet to make things has always been sort of my natural instinct. Every time I found technology, I found ways to use it to make something. Yeah, and, and I would guess, you know, if you're totally fulfilled and you're, you're, so your, your skill or your interest in telling stories is probably being driven by something else, you know, deep inside of you. And, and, I, and I tell people, just because... I was in foster care and that was hard for me. doesn't mean I'm going to work in the foster system, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not necessarily that linear. Um, and there's probably 50 different things I could do besides write my memoir and have a blog that would be extremely fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually raises a question about something you said uh, in the book. You said, and this was in, in one of the recipes, actually. And I loved how you infuse these recipes throughout the book right after a story and, and right before sort of the next segue. Uh, but I love this in particular. I have updated mom's recipe so I can remember the past with feet planted firmly toward the future. And the question is how we remember the past with our feet planted firmly toward the future. Like, how do we not get caught up in uh, the challenges of our past? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess there's no there's no one trick, you know. Nine ninety nine, and I have your answer. <laughs> um, I think you use it as information, and you use it as a stepping stone and a, a, a the foundation. Right? This is. It informs everything we do, but it it isn't who we are. Or you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Byron Katie. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan, and she talks about the stories we tell ourselves, and that it's a choice how you see um, your past. And so, maintaining tradition, um, it, it's a choice how you honor that. Um, what you pick, you can pick and choose. And I, and you know, some there was a great quote. Um, gosh, who's Sorry, here, I'm trying to think. Um, for anyone who is truly happy has to have some blind spots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's so much truth to, truth to that. You get to choose what you make of your past. Um, you know, I'm not saying lie to yourself, but, but don't torture yourself either. So how did cooking every country in the world uh, 
impact the relationship that you have with your community in Tulsa and, and you know, your just physical environment and the world that you live in now? Well, that, it's really funny because when I started off, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was to try and create uh, an international experience for my daughter um, as she grew up, thinking that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there really wasn't any to be had. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turned out that that was my own narrow-minded ex- uh, perspective. I'd really only been here um, when she was born for four years, and I had been busy with my own life and not really exploring. And even though it's a small city, once I started cooking the world, I started needing certain ingredients, and I started finding the appropriate you know, grocery stores, um, Hispanic markets. There's an African market a mile and a half down the road, um, several, you know, Indian and Asian. There's everything. And um, I realized it had been my perspective that was narrow, not the city. And um, so that so that was the first thing, was really just realizing what Tulsa had to offer. But then second of all, it seems like as soon as I decided to cook the world, things started happening in, and I talk about good energy. I don't, I don't know what else to call it, but, um, I mean, just, I would, you talk about something and then it shows up. So I am talking about what to make for Bulgaria. And this is the most extreme example, Uh um, sitting at my dining room table and I'm surrounded by all these books and the doorbell rings and this guy, my mom was visiting. She let, she lets this guy in. And he has this thick accent. And she'd asked him, what's your accent? And he said, oh, I'm Bulgarian. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I mean, this is like ridiculous. And he's selling books door to door for a summer job. And of course, I have him help me figure out what to make for Bulgaria. He told me half the recipes in the book were brought. You know, that's not true. We don't really eat that. And he was super helpful. And I bought, you know, gosh, his overpriced books. I bought those. <laughs> <laughs> um and I took his picture because I was like, nobody's going to ever believe this. And in fact, my editor at National Geographic wanted me to take it out. She's like, oh, that's just hokey. You know, nobody cares about that. But I thought it was actually the point uh-huh. is that when you put you set an intention and you you declare it to the world in all kinds of little ways, wherever you go, people show up and people start to offer you um, help and uh, um and in all kinds of ways. I mean, grocery store clerks saying, oh, why, you know, why are you buying this um, pomegranate molasses? Oh, I'm going to make this dish. Oh, really? I know how to make that. And, you know, giving me some pointers and, you know, it goes on and on. Um, and I want to give you an example unrelated to um, my cooking story is that I was talking to my daughter once, I guess, maybe a year or so ago. And she told me that she had made a wish and she didn't want to tell me what it was. And I had, I thought about it for a minute and, and I, I, it just really didn't sit right with me and I couldn't figure out why. And I said, you know what? She goes, she goes, mama, if I tell you my wish, it won't come true. That's what my friend at school told me. And I said, well, honey, some kids say that and they, you know, they might feel that way. But in my experience, um, if you say your wishes out loud, people can start to try to help you make them happen and, um, think of creative ways. Well, what, what is the next thing out of her mouth? Mama, I want to be Wonder Woman. (laughs) (laughs) And so here I am thinking, wow, okay, how do I? (laughs) And I I sat there quiet because I'm driving and, you know, thinking like, what am I going to say to this kid who wants to be Wonder Woman? And I just told her I can help her make that happen. 
And, you know, we, and I started just brainstorming with her and I was like, well, you know, what would it, what do you love about Wonder Woman? Is it her strength? Um, you know, is there something you can do to work on your strength? And would you like to make a costume together? And we just had it was such a great bonding experience about, and I said, see, now we're thinking of things we can do to make your, your, you know, it seemed like a small dream, right? But like, to her, it was big to make your dream come true. And and so that, I kind of think that carries on into adulthood is if we don't say our, that whole lie about if you say your wishes, they don't come true. I think that's BS. Mm. Uh, how, <laughs> Sorry, was that too? No, that was incredible. Okay. Uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the entire conversation. Okay. Uh, how has uh, cooking the world changed your relationship with uh, your family? Uh, specifically your mother first, I'd like to hear about, and then also uh, your daughter and your husband. Yeah, I mean, um, so with my mom, it was um, cooking the world was a great bonding experience whenever she was here, but it also was something that she could witness through the internet, right? We had weekly videos of my daughter trying the food, and so she felt very connected to us. Um, but what what was interesting, going back to what I was saying about feeling like a part of the world family, um, was that I was seeing connections in all these countries with the things she would tell me. So, um, oh, your grandfather loved dry apricots. She would say that off the cuff when I'd tell her about dried apricots in Afghanistan. And um, I think it just made it... I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it made my sense of who my family was, which always felt really complicated to me. Um, just make it feel again, part of that global family, um, part of a connect that, that there was a connection there that it wasn't all just, you know, me cut off in this strange experience. Um, with my husband and daughter, it was, uh, tremendous, um, for my husband. He went from never having fresh spinach and having no idea what an eggplant was to really loving food. And um, I, I say he now looks at food as an adventure, not an attack, because um, he, you know, where he used to sniff food before he tried it. Now, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you do that, but this is like the funny, he didn't even realize he did it. Um, now he go ahead, he says, let's go have sushi or, you know, what he, you know, I think I taste cinnamon in here. So he's, it's been a life changer for him. For my daughter, you know, she was a baby, so who knows who she would have been without this adventure. Um, I do know that she is extremely curious and compassionate. Um, she, we have a map hanging in our dining room. She still asks, even though we've backed off how often we're cooking um, for the blog, she'll ask, which country are we eating, Mama? And she'll go over to the map and look around. Um, she's had different phases of of um, pickiness as all kids do, but generally speaking, she, um, she's extremely adventurous. And, and I should say the recipes I do at first, I was trying to be a little bit shocking with my family, but as time went on, I realized that, um, these recipes, there's so many famous chefs out there who like to promote, um, shock and awe with the recipes they share from other countries. So like deep fried, tarantulas or cobra hearts which cultures do eat but for me I felt like if I can share a recipe that people get even though it's foreign to them with an ingredient that's familiar to them 
then I'm creating a bridge. So, for example, we eat carrots, Mongolians eat carrots. Let's look at what kind of preparation they would do with carrots over there so that you get excited. And instead of having this, ooh, that's gross, cobra heart reaction, <laughs> putting up a wall, you're saying, mm, that sounds good. I, you know, And it just changes the way you see that culture. And you see them more as um, family than as a, a foreigner, so to speak. Huh. What have been some of the unexpected byproducts of all of this? Well, for sure, writing this book and facing my past was the biggest. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I was prepared to go into those emotional places. Um, you know, I thought it would be another 30 years before I had to do that. So with that, though, became, uh, I don't know, it's a journey for of um, I don't know, finding the gray area, I guess. Like everything seemed really black and white before I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those people were mean. They took me for my mom. My mom was wonderful. And so as I wrote the book, I realized a lot of different people were trying to help me in whatever way they could. Um, and it wasn't as simple as black and white. So finding that gray area was a really um, tremendous gift for me. And I would say um, our lives are a journey and I'm still in right in it. But I'm a lot I'm a lot more at peace than I used to be um, about all that. So that was that was probably the best and most remarkable side effect of all this. So this is a question I have just out of personal uh, curiosity because having just finished a book, I have this just sort of deep sense of emptiness uh, mm. in my life. Like, and, I, and I always experience it after a big creative project and I've kind of become hyper aware of it enough that I make sure there's always something right after I finish something. Like I don't try to take breaks because it sends me into like a sort of you know, postpartum depression almost like you've birthed <laughs> this thing. And now, you know, you're like, okay, now what? Um, not that, you know, I'm entirely done writing, but I'm curious, uh, if you've experienced that void after having finished this project, like what now? Yeah, I, I people keep asking, sorry, let me turn my phone off Start again. Um, people like to ask me, you know, what's next for you? And, and I did, I had about, oh gosh, has it been, a year and a half, almost two years since I handed in uh, my final draft and it went to the, you know, publicists and printers and all that stuff. And it's, it's been that long and I still am telling people I'm exhaling, you know, um, it, there was a great sense of sadness also because I had finished completing, you know, I'd completed cooking the world. And so I had these two massive projects that ended almost the same time. And, um, I just, I didn't know what to do next. And I, and I think I'm finally finding my way towards that. But, um, yeah, I do. I can totally relate. And I wish I had some awesome advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that right now I'm working, like I'm in the, I, I'm really enjoying playing a little. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about following your curiosity when you're not sure what to do. Mm-hmm. And I've been really curious lately uh, about a fantasy slash fairy tale I want to write. <laughs> and so it's totally like my agent's thinking, what are you doing? This is, is there, is there at least food in it? You know, um, is this good for your brand? But I think I just, after pouring my heart and every personal detail of my life onto the page, I need a little vacation. Um, so I'm still passionate about writing and I'm going to this, this play area instead. Um, and then of course, like continuing, 
um, routine is important because um, it's so easy when you finish this massive project, again, faced with the unknown and no big light bulb ideas to kind of slide down the hill and, and, and towards inertia. Um, so for me, it's been important to maintain, okay, every week I'm going to post something. And over time, these posts at first might not be so great or so inspired, but over time I'm going to figure out what my voice is now. Um, because again, I had this happy-go-lucky food blog, and then I had this intense wrenching book. And trying to figure out how to merge those two voices on my site has been really um, tricky. And so not giving myself permission to, to just give up has been really key um, in having that schedule. Well, this has been amazing, uh, as, I, as I expected it would be after having read the book, uh, which I will link up in the show notes, and I can't recommend highly enough. Probably one of my favorite things I've read uh, all year long. Uh, so I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unapologetically being themselves, right? I mean, the people who draw me into their sort of aura and flame and energy have always just been unapologetically themselves. Um, you know, we could, I had this nightmare about a year ago when I finished the book, when I finished the, the Around the World Challenge, that I was walking by these food trucks and there were dozens and dozens of food trucks and every single food truck served the same exact thing and it was like fried donuts. And I'm walking and as I go by them, I'm getting more and more panicky because I'm heading towards my own food truck and I know that I'm also selling fried donuts. And I, in the dream, I'm thinking, how is anybody to know you know, why would they buy mine over these others? And how are they going to know that mine's different from the others? And something in my dream answered and said, because you're going to put yourself in it, you know, this is going to, and, and I think that's, you know, there's a million and one international recipes on the internet. And the way to stand out is to put yourself in what you do, you know? Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share your story and uh, your insights with our listeners of The Unmistakable Creative. Uh, this has been a blast. One of my favorite conversations of the entire year. Oh, good. I'm glad. I had a lot of fun, too. So, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative. As we married and started to grow a family, we really wanted to create opportunities for our own children to have the chance to realize that they can make a difference in the world. And, uh, and also to give them experiential uh, living so that they could see the world and they could see how they could make an impact. And, and we wanted them to be aware of yeah. what's going on. Uh, it's pretty easy in America to live within a, uh, a little bubble of your own needs and... First world problems. Yeah, a lot of first world problems. Tune in for a conversation with Matt and Eva Webb about how kids can have a profound impact on the world. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.